Good morning, everyone. How are we all? Very chatty today. It's good. It's good. It's good to be in God's house, isn't it? How good was that time of worship? I didn't want it to end. It's so good to be in God's presence. I count it a privilege and hope you to get to be here. We don't have to be here. We can be at home in bed. Some sports or I don't know, whatever happens on Sunday. Doing your gardening, washing your car. But no, we choose to be here and we get to be in God's presence. And it's a privilege, it's an honour. We get to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I don't know, it's just so good to be in his presence. Are you excited to be here this morning? Good. Are you expectant to hear from God this morning? Good. Good, because I believe that he's put a word on my heart for us this morning as we continue our series Um, And I believe it's going to speak to some of us, if not all of us this morning. So lean in. Let's be uh, aware of God speaking to us. Why don't we pray before we start? God, we just thank you that you are here, that you are moving, that you're already working in this place. And I pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you will speak to each and every one of us, that we will uh, just be ready to hear from you, that we will be expectant to hear from you, believing that you are a God who speaks. You are not distant. You are not uh, away from us, but you are right here in the midst of us, moving and speaking. And so we, we want to hear from you this morning. And so we are just grateful for what you're doing and what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are continuing this series, Words to Live By, and I believe that this morning's verse, this morning's declaration is going to be something that can encourage us, maybe when you feel like you're not getting anywhere. Maybe when you feel like, uh, like you've been forgotten or that maybe God's distant in your life. And I just believe that, you know, maybe if you're in a place where you feel like you've just been trudging along and you're not making any progress, I believe that this morning this is going to be a word of encouragement for each and every one of us on this journey of faith, on the battles that we face daily that God is going to encourage us. And it's taken from Philippians. Um, But before we get into the actual verse, I just want to lay the context, the foundation for this verse. And so for that, we're just going to kind of jump back into uh, Acts chapter 16. But this letter, uh, Philippians, is a letter written by Paul. He's in prison. Um, Paul spent a lot of time in prison, if you read the life and ministry of Paul. I don't know, maybe he enjoyed it there, but he spent a lot of time in prison. And so this letter he's writing from prison. And, you know, if you're ever thinking that life as a believer, as a follower of Jesus is easy, just look at the life of Paul. A lot of time in prison, just hanging out there. But he's writing this letter from prison and it's filled with joy. It's full of joy. In fact, it's one of the major themes of this letter. And the word joy in its original context is written 16 times in this four-chapter letter. It's full of joy. When you're in prison, I've never been there, but I can't imagine it would be easy to find joy. And yet here he is writing from prison full of joy. So we're just going to jump back to the foundation of this church in Philippi, which Paul uh, initially began. And what you'll see is that as he's going about his ministry for Jesus, he, uh, he tries to go into Asia, but God says no. And then he tries to go into Bithynia, uh, present-day Turkey, and God says no. 
And so he's kind of waiting on God and saying, well, where do you want me to go? What is it that you want me to do? And God gives him this, gives him this vision of a person from Macedonia saying, come to us, come to us. And so Paul takes this quite rightly as confirmation that he is to go to Macedonia to bring the good news of Jesus. And so he heads there and he heads into the main city, which is Philippi. And now in Philippi, people there had heard about God. They were known as God-fearing people, but they hadn't met, they hadn't heard about the person of Jesus. They hadn't had a personal revelation of Jesus Christ and everything that he did, his death and his resurrection. And so Paul heads into this city to share with this people the good news of Jesus. And you can read about this in Acts 16. But So Paul arrives in this city and there's no synagogue which suggests that there's not enough Jewish men in this city uh, to be able to form a synagogue. And so he heads towards where the kind of communal prayer place was, which is down by a river. And uh, Paul finds that actually this group of people is mainly made up of women. And so Paul begins to share the good news of Jesus with this group of, of women. And, he be, and the scripture actually tells us um, that one woman in particular, Lydia, has a personal revelation of Jesus through the good news that Paul is sharing. And actually, she has become, she became the first convert to Christianity in the continent of Europe. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? So this woman, Lydia, has a personal revelation of Jesus and then goes on to plant a church. And it says that on that day, her whole household were saved. Her whole household were saved and God's church was established right there in the city of Philippi. And it's interesting that actually we hear a little bit about Lydia, not a lot about her, but we hear that she's like an influential businesswoman. She deals in a cloth, specifically purple cloth, which is known for like royalty. It's very luxurious. It's very valuable. It's a sign of nobility. But what we don't hear is about a man in her life. But in those days, if she'd have had a man, if she'd have had a husband, we would have heard about him more than her. And so we can only assume uh, from the text that, that she didn't have a husband. And so what we can infer from this scripture is that actually not only was she the first convert in the continent of Europe, she actually led the first church in Europe. So I'll just leave that with you for those of you who are perhaps wrestling with that as a concept. That's not what we're talking about this morning, but go Lydia, girl power. <laughs> And so following on in Acts 16 and the journey of Paul through his ministry, what we see, and we're just kind of laying the context, the foundation, this is not what we're speaking on, but I just want you to kind of hold this in your mind as we go through. We hear next of an interaction between Paul and a slave girl who, is, uh, who is, has this evil spirit within her. And so she's following Paul uh, and Silas around and just kind of this, this evil spirit is pestering them and is pestering them and it just keeps digging in at them until Paul gets to the point where he's had enough and he casts this demon out in the name of Jesus. He says, in the name of Jesus, get out of her. And the spirit goes, just like that. Simple, isn't it? Just like that. <laughs> it's pretty cool, I don't know do you wish that you could just say to a spirit, get out, and it would be gone? Just like that. Say to this person, be healed, and just like that, they're healed. Let me say we can. 
We can. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, so we can do these things. This is not just for Paul. This is not just for the early church. This is for us right now. Take encouragement from that. But Paul speaks in the name of Jesus, come out, and this demon comes out. And then her owners then begin a bit frustrated because actually uh, this spirit was able to predict the future, and they made a small fortune off this spirit dwelling within this woman. And so the people kick up a fuss, and if eventually they get thrown into prison and they get beaten. And you probably know the story. They get put in the innermost part of the prison and they get shackled up so there's absolutely no way they are going anywhere. And then as we read on, we hear that in the middle of the night, instead of moaning and griping about the injustice of their imprisonment, instead even of sleeping, what do we find them doing? They're singing. They're praising God. Even though they have been unfairly trapped in prison, they are praising God. And we know that actually as they sing, an earthquake comes and the shackles that they're bound in fall off and the prison doors are flung open. And isn't it amazing? We've been singing about that this morning. We hadn't conferred. That's just God doing a work. And so in that moment, the jailer then goes to kill himself because it's his responsibility to look after all the prisoners. And he thinks that they've escaped because the doors are wide open and Paul runs over and says we're still here it's okay you don't need to do that and he begins to share the good news of Jesus with this jailer and it says that he and his whole household come to faith that day amazing isn't it in this short space of time two households at least convert to Christianity And so what we're seeing and the reason that I'm sharing this with you is that actually Paul has this deep connection with the people and the church of Philippi. He's got this strong connection because it was in that place that he saw these incredible things begin to happen. And actually that church supported him financially throughout his work and his ministry. And that's part of what he's writing in his letter to thank them for their financial gift that they have been blessing him with. But here's here's also the point that actually Paul knows from his time in this region, from his time spent ministering in that place, that when you share the good news of Jesus in the city of Philippi, you meet persecution even to the point of death. And he believes as he's writing this letter from prison that even as it was then when he was there and he was ministering, so it is now when he's writing to the church that as they share the good news, as they live out a faith according to Jesus, that they will come upon persecution even to the point of death. And so he's writing to them from a place of empathy, this people that he loved dearly, and he's writing them this letter filled with joy and filled with encouragement as they face these struggles. And what he's saying to them is that God began something in you. When I was there, God began a work in you. And he hasn't left you He hasn't deserted you. He hasn't forsaken you. But the work that he began, he will bring to completion. And so let's read this passage for this morning. It's taken from Philippians chapter 1, the first six verses. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, 
to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from that first day, that portion of scripture in Acts 16, until now. And here's our key verse for this morning, our, our word to live by, if you will. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And the Amplified Version says this, I am convinced and confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And the Passion Translation says, I pray with great faith for you because I am fully convinced that the one who began this gracious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know God's working in you this morning? And even if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't think God is working in me, let me tell you this, God is working in you this morning, whether you realise it or not. That doesn't stop the fact he is at work in your life. Why? Because he loves you because he cares for you, because he is for you. And the reality is that none of us have made it. None of us can stand here and say, Christianity, the journey of faith, I've completed it. I've done it. I have achieved what there is to achieve. There is always more. There's always more for God to do in us, to grow us, to mature us. And it's a lifelong journey, as it says in this portion of scripture, until Christ Jesus comes again. <clears throat> and so I love how Paul begins this encouragement to the people of Philippi that actually he's writing out of a place of empathy and out of a place of understanding what it is that they're going through. He writes this, I'm confident of this. I am confident of this. He's saying there's no doubt in my mind. There is no question about what is going on. I don't need convincing at all. I am confident of this. Do you know, sometimes it takes hearing someone else's story to help get our confidence back. Hearing someone else's story to get our confidence back. You know, sometimes we need to hear from someone who knows what it is that we're going through. Someone who has been where we are, but has come out of it the other side stronger and better and more like Jesus. We can hear from them. We can hear their testimony of God's work in their lives and it can give us our confidence back. It can inspire us that God isn't done, that God hasn't left us, that he's still working. Have you ever had your confidence knocked? Has anything ever in your life happened to you and it's, it's knocked your confidence and it's stopped you having the courage and the boldness to do even the easiest of things? Here's a kind of silly example from when I was a teenager. I had a paper round. I was very faithful in doing it Monday to Saturday, riding on my bicycle. 
And one day I was out on my paper round and it was a ridiculous round because I had two, not just one bag, but two bags. So I was laden with papers like some kind of pack horse riding around on my push bike. And I remember this, this one morning in particular, it was a rainy day and those were the worst cycling around with papers that just suck up water, trying to push them through tiny letterboxes. If you've got a tiny letterbox and you have your paper delivered, get a new letterbox. It's horrible. Anyway, so I remember this one morning, I'm riding my bike on, and it's raining and I'm laden with papers and I go around this corner just up the road from here and I went over a wet grid and the bike just slipped from underneath me and I crashed to the floor and there was papers everywhere. It was a mess. And so the paper shop wasn't far from me, so I kind of gathered up what I could and kind of hobbled my way, pushing my bike back to the paper shop. And as I arrived, he was like, oh, it was you. Someone had already called ahead to say there's been an accident. And so there I am with my sodden papers and whatever. But actually, from that moment, that, that simple thing of me falling off my bike going around a corner, I'm not kidding. From that moment on, I really struggled going round corners on my bike. Something that I'd done for years. I loved riding my bike. I'd go down mental hills and I'd just be a little bit bonkers on my bike. But after this one moment, my confidence was knocked and I could no longer lean into the corners and go round it like I used to. And it took time for me to rebuild that courage, for me to regain that confidence to do what I knew how to do. It's as easy as riding a bike, they say, but my confidence was knocked and I struggled and I battled, but repetition keep, kept on going. I kept on going and over time I got my confidence back and I can tell you today, I can stand here a changed man. I can confidently cycle round corners, amen. <laughs> But we need confidence. We need confidence. The writer of Hebrews knew this. He said, we should boldly approach the throne of God. Not timidly, but boldly, with confidence, so that we can receive his mercy and find the grace to help us when we need it most. You know, confidence grows with action. Building our confidence takes us stepping out. And actually, a lack of confidence can stop you from reaching your full potential. A lack of confidence can stop you from walking in the purposes of God in your life. Our confidence grows with action. But actually, what we'll find is that as we step out of the boat and onto the water, as we do that boldly, as we do it with confidence, God turns that water into solid ground. And then we find that we're doing it. We're actually walking in his purpose. We're seeing his plans. We're seeing his miracles because we stepped out of the boat with boldness. And then what happens? Our confidence begins to grow even more. Well, I've done it. I've done the hard bit. I've stepped out of the boat and now I'm walking on the water. And so our confidence begins to build. And then what happens? We go and tell someone else, guess what happened to me? I did this thing and I did it confidently and, and I was doing it and God was with me and their confidence grows. And so actually, as we do this thing, as we look to God, as we walk with boldness and confidence, we can encourage those around us. And so as Paul is writing this letter, to the church of Philippi as an, as an apostle, 
as a pastor. He is proud of this church and he loves them so much that he just wants to encourage them. He wants them to get their confidence back. And so he praises their faithfulness and he praises their dedication. And he says, I thank God for you. And he lets them know, you can be confident of this. You can be confident of this. We can be confident of this. Confident of what? As we read on. Confident that he who began a good work in you. And we'll pause there. He who began a good work in you. You know, sometimes we can look at our lives and think, but I'm not really getting anywhere. I'm, nothing's really changed. I'm still battling the same demons I've always battled. I'm still dealing with the same struggles that I've always struggled with. I'm still finding that I'm thinking those negative thought patterns that I've been working through. Nothing's really changed. I'm not getting anywhere. And we begin to, we begin to doubt ourselves. We begin to doubt our progress. We begin to doubt this, this process and this journey of maturity that we believe is the journey of faith we're on. But you know what? Doubt is, an, is a weapon of the enemy. Doubt is a weapon of the enemy. We just need to look at Genesis 3 and what did the serpent say to Eve? He said, did God really say that? Did God really say that you can't eat of this fruit? And he just plants that seed of doubt. He just plants that seed of doubt in your mind. Is God really looking out for you? Is God really wanting the best for you? Or actually, is he stopping you from you know, being more powerful? That's what the, the enemy was saying to, to Eve. And I think that actually, if we can dwell on those seeds of doubt if if we allow the enemy to not just plant the seed but begin to water that seed then it takes root and and it begins to grow in our life and it begins to suffocate the positive things and the truth of God because we're allowing this seed of doubt to grow we're almost watering it ourselves by spending time dwelling on it spending time thinking on it buying into it instead of replacing it with the truth that comes from the gospel of Jesus and then actually what we'll find is that everything that we do, everything that we see is seen through the lens of doubt. It's seen through the lens of doubt. And you know this is such a great reminder for us that actually when doubts begin to grow, we can read this verse, we can declare this word to live by that we can be confident that he who began God has begun something in your life. And if you ever have doubt of that, all you need to do is look back. All you need to do is look back at how far you've come. A few years back, some friends and I climbed Snowdon. And uh, I tried to do this back when I was at uni. Uh, and me and some friends went and we climbed up Snowdon. And halfway up, we were messing around and I tripped and sprained my ankle and uh, I got the little tram thing that's there the rest of the way up. So I, I hadn't actually climbed Snowden from the bottom to the top. And I really wanted to, to achieve that. And so when another group of friends were like, we're going to climb Snowden, I was glad of the opportunity to finally redeem myself and conquer this mountain. 
And so uh, I'd been battling man flu literally the days before, uh, and who knows how bad man flu is, it's terrible. I was basically at death's door. And so I'd just been going through this, and Ruth was like, what are you doing? Don't go. You are not in a fit state. But I was determined to finally conquer this demon of Snowden. And so off we went up the mountain, and, you know, we were well prepared. We had walking boots on, packed lunches, plenty of water, all of that stuff. And we're up the mountain, and we're on our journey. It was about two hours in, and I'm looking towards the summit, and I'm thinking, it doesn't look any nearer. It is a long way off. We are not making any progress here, guys. And then I turned back round. And I looked back towards where we'd come from. And I saw that actually we'd come a long way. We'd come a long way. We'd, we'd gone far already, even though it felt like we weren't making any progress. Even though the, the goal looked so far away, when I turned back and looked at where I'd come from, I saw that actually we'd been making progress. We'd already come a long way. And it's good to look back. It's good to look back sometimes and see just how far you've come when you're thinking, I'm not really progressing in this journey. I'm no better than I was when I first came to faith. Just look back. Look back at where you were. Look back at that moment when God first redeemed you, when he first brought you into his family. And look how far you've come. And you'll see that you are making progress. You are moving forward. That God began a good work in you. We can have confidence that he who began a good work. And what good work? What are we talking about when we say good work? Well, as Paul's writing this letter, as we've already said, he's writing about the good work of Lydia and her whole household coming to faith. He's writing about the good work of demons being cast out in Jesus' name. He's writing about chains being broken and prison doors being flung open. He's writing about salvations and the church being uh, being set up and being formed and founded in that city a good work and God has begun a good work in you because each and every one of us were put here for such a time as this we were put here for a purpose to do a good work for Jesus for his kingdom God has begun a good work in your life I don't know about you but I'm very aware that God is doing a work in me I know that God is working on me, that he is growing me, that he is maturing me. But sometimes, sometimes it feels like a struggle. Sometimes it feels a little bit like a battle, a little bit uncomfortable at times. And I don't know, maybe sometimes we just focus so much on the rubbish stuff, so much on the tragedy, so much on the trials and the tribulations and the negative situations and the hard work that we forget that actually... There's a good work going on here. We're so consumed with the negative and with the challenges that we forget that God began a good work. And while sometimes we face stuff that isn't from God, that's not what he intended for us, we know, and as Paul writes, we can be confident that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. You know, we just need to think about the life of Joseph. We know the story of Joseph and his brothers beat him up out of jealousy and they cast him into a pit and left him for dead. They sold him into slavery. 
And we know the end of that story that actually Joseph moved from pit to prison to the palace and he ended up being the second only to Pharaoh. And when he met his brothers once again years later, he could have thought about all that negative stuff, about all the the rubbish that he'd been through, about all the trials that he'd gone through. But instead, when they came knocking on Pharaoh's door for help, Joseph was able to say to them, you intended harm. What you intended for harm, God intended it all for good. And he brought me to this position. He did a good work in me so that I can save the lives of many people. And so we might find ourselves in the midst of struggles, in some battles, in some challenges, in some really rubbish situations. But we can be confident in this, that God began a good work in you. And no matter what it looks like, no matter what it might feel like in the moment, He began a good work in us. And the promise that we can take from this this verse this morning is that He will carry it on to completion. What He began in us, that good work that He began in us, He will. Not He maybe, not He might, not He's thinking about it. He will carry it on to completion.